live from the capital of the Commonwealth. This is the Sports Huddle with Bob Black on 1061 ESPN. We're also streaming live at ESPNRichmond.com and on the iHeartRadio app. Call in and talk with Bob anytime at 327-0888. Now, here's Bob Black with the Sports Huddle on 1061 ESPN. against a team that have played in the national championship one year ago 45 42 well you know that old saying it ain't bragging if you can back it up and prime time dion in the colorado transfer portal buffaloes certainly backed it up in a stunning opening week victory over as was just reported on Fox by Gus Johnson, a national championship game player from a year ago in the TCU Horned Frogs, and they were nationally ranked going into the season. They aren't anymore. Colorado knocks off TCU 45-42, one of the highlights of the opening weekend of college football. We're going to talk about all of that. We have plenty of time to do it with you on the Tuesday Sports Auto. I got to keep reminding myself that it's the Tuesday Sports Auto because we were all out yesterday for Labor Day. So in some regards, it feels like a Monday. So much so that we have decided to give you a mini version of Mashup Monday on Tuesday. Matt Josephs, who just completed the 3 o'clock hour with Border to Border, has graciously agreed to stick around for a while here in the 4 o'clock hour of the Tuesday Mashup Monday edition of the sports huddle so he's here to talk about it and you can be too 804-327-0888 get you on the air also the text number 327-0888 we'll get into virginia virginia tech richmond james madison uh vmi gets a first win for danny rocco so we'll touch on that we had him on last week so all of that coming up and the national scene as well so let's keep it rolling here matt we'll start with colorado which finds itself at number 22 in this week's top 25 poll after the stunning victory over tcu are you a dion guy are you a uh, are you a prime time fan or or not i uh did well obviously like the rest of us i had a lot of questions as to how this would go i am a fan for uh the sport mostly because i think he'll be good for the sport um i will be interested to see how he handles losses uh because of how he handled the first win and how in that post-game press conference yeah, he uh, he handled wins great, as you as you know, and as you heard after the game. Um, but I agree with you. I think he's good for college football. Uh, I actually like Dion, and I've told the story a million times that there is a little personal connection there. Not that he would ever know it, but I remember it from his days with the Richmond Braves when I was broadcasting the Richmond Braves. So I got to know him a little bit on the inner circle and loved the guy. Just thought he was a great guy stand-up guy locker room guy you know all of his hype and shenanigans for the public that are out there uh, he's a different guy when he's just with with his guys so to speak I I surprised myself Matt because I'm not really that kind of guy I don't think I am anyway you know kind of that outlandishness and yet two of the people uh, both in our business and in the sports world that actually have come to appreciate are Deion Sanders 
and Stephen A. Smith, and they're both yellers and screamers and hype guys, and I'm not really sure why, but uh, I'm going off path here just a little bit. But in any event, I like what he did. Uh, I'm not a huge fan of the portal, but uh, you got to use it in this day and age. I don't think there's any doubt about that, which brings me to the other stunner of the weekend, and that was the Duke win last night over Clemson. Even though they made their share of mistakes, Duke totally dominated that game. And it flabbergasts me, Matt, that that Dabo Sweeney hasn't bought in yet on this whole transfer portal thing and going to get guys. He's losing guys in the portal, but not making that concerted effort, not to bring in the numbers that Deion Sanders brought in at Colorado, obviously. But it just it surprises me that he doesn't yet understand that in order to compete in 2023 and beyond, you better play by the new rules. Remember, this is the same guy who said essentially to the point of uh, if we start paying players, I'm out of here. And he obviously is still there. Um, yeah, it's just it's just it's something you have to do. I know people don't like the transfer portal, but like you you have to 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 bring people in. And it's funny about because Clemson's got a really good defense. Like their defense was as good as it possibly could. Were their breakdowns? Yes, but they also got no help from their offense whatsoever. Three times inside the 10-yard line and twice literally at the one. And they came away with nothing. And that is very un-Clemson-like. I kind of compare it, and I know you don't like this guy, but he did, you know, move with the times. I remember when the one-and-dones first became in vogue in college basketball, and Mike Krzyzewski stood his ground. He, he was like Dabo Sweeney. He dug his feet in the sand. He drew the line. He said, we're not going to do that at Duke. We're going to get guys that are going to be with us for however many years, but I'm not recruiting the one-and-doneers. And it took him about two years to figure out that ain't going to work. And now I think he probably leads or led college basketball in the one and dunners before before he retired. I just think Dabo's going to have to go that route sooner rather than later. And I my one of my favorite things of the weekend was Clemson fans can't blame DJU for that. DJU nope. went to Corvallis and had five touchdowns in a win over San Jose State. Cade Klubnick, who they think is going to be the future, he was not the future. Now, once again, a lot of the fumbles weren't on him, but DJU for now has the last laugh. And for the moment, uh, there's another guy who I wouldn't want to put the blame on because I knew him as well, and he was Clemson's offensive coordinator, and he was a Richmond offensive coordinator back in the day, and that's Brandon Streeter, who was the Clemson offensive coordinator uh, and is a Clemson guy, right? He was a quarterback at Clemson, and they, they showed him the door at the end of last season. Um, you know, I made a change there, brought Riley in and, and all of that, and I know they moved the ball up and down the field, Matt, but the, the bottom line is put points on the scoreboard and they sure didn't do that last night. Yeah, and it was a bad result, I think, for the ACC unless Florida State's ready to go into Death Valley and win at the end of the month. If Florida State goes in and wins, then that's great. But now, you know, Clemson can't lose again. Uh, And if Clemson plays bad, then Florida State has to carry the flag or else we're left outside the, uh, the Final Four once again. Well, they certainly look pretty good this weekend, Florida State, that is. I think they certainly upheld their end of the bargain. It bumped them up to fourth in the poll. I thought, you know, they looked really impressive. But I would agree with you. If you're just the ACC sitting there now in Charlotte, not in Greensboro, but if you're the ACC sitting there, that's probably not the result you wanted. I think in the short term, it's great because I think Duke is getting a lot of positive pub out of this. I think the ACC is getting some positive pub out of Duke knocking off uh, Clemson and everything that goes with that. But I think the bigger picture, you're probably right. It's, it's, it's probably not the decision that the ACC 
want it or need it in the first week of the season because it, it really puts Clemson behind the eight ball now. Of course, if North Carolina has a defense, which I don't mm-hmm. believe they do, that puts North Carolina in the picture. Obviously, NC State beating UConn. Uh, Miami looked good against Miami, Ohio. So, like, there's other opportunities potentially, but one of your two flagship programs, and I'm using that once again, um, <laughs> did not play well on Monday Night Football. Well, the flagship program in Virginia got a win anyway, Matt. I guess they are the flagship program meeting Virginia Tech. I say that somewhat tongue-in-cheek after Brent Price comments at Media Day about everybody knows they're the flagship program. Eh, We may find out a little bit more about that this weekend when James Madison goes to Virginia, actually. And if JMU could win that game, they could certainly lay stake to that claim as well. But we got a win for Virginia Tech. Uh, Virginia got blown out by Tennessee. That was a tough deal for the Cavaliers. JMU had a good win. Uh, The Virginia Tech one, Matt, both you and I talked about, they just need to win that game. You can't lose that game at home. Sellout crowd after losing to them last year. Ollie Jennings was going to have a big game, and, and he did. And I know they may not have played the most aesthetically pleasing game, and they've got a lot to work on. But the bottom line, the only line for Virginia Tech was to win Saturday night, and they did. Yep. 36 points is nice. Uh, that's nice. And and we just talked about it. I mean, having a number one wide receiver moves everybody down. And last year they had number ones who were number fours in reality. Like, you know, Jalen Lane's a good number two. That means Felton is a good number three. And that means the guys who were up there at number one last year, uh, the Lofton kid and uh, Daquan Wright, like they can become threes and fours, and then they're okay where they are. I just think uh, Jennings is going to make such a difference for this team. Five catches, 72 yards, and the two touchdowns, which he basically said he would get against his old team and buddies over there at Old Dominion. Uh, Grant Wells, nice job, right, in, in in the starting role at 17 of 29, 251, three touchdowns, and credit the offensive line a little bit. And trust me, offensive line is a sore spot for me today, I can tell you that. Uh, no sacks on Grant Wilson Saturday night. Yep. I mean, as as the commanders need to do on Sunday, Bob, Virginia Tech did what they had to do on Saturday. They got the win. I mean, look, you play against the style. You know, there wasn't a lot of film on on either Grant Wilson and Fordham. I mean, you can go back and watch Fordham last year, but it's different players. So Virginia Tech did what they had to. They got the win. Now they have to do what they have to again and get the win again on Saturday. Yeah, they got five sacks uh, against Wilson, who was 13 of 25 for 94 yards in that game. And then real quick on UVA. I hadn't heard much today. Of course, I was busy doing a few other odds and ends. Uh, but anything on Tony Musket and his condition going into this week, Matt? Did you hear anything? I think they're going to keep this as close to the vet as possible. It's a day-to-day with a shoulder injury. Um, so he'll be a game-time decision. Uh, and since you're – this will be great. Um, so you obviously don't know this. Bob, what is the line right now in that game? Or what would you – all right, first off, what would you set the line? And what is the line right now? What game are we talking about? Virginia JMU? Yep. Well, I do know it, actually. Okay. (laughs) Well, tell me if I'm right, because obviously you have better sources and better platforms on that than I do. But it's JMU by a touchdown. Is that about right? Oh, yeah, Bob. See? I do. Matt, I don't participate, but I do follow along with you. Actually, I mean, I that's do. insanity. Tell me 10 years ago, Bob, that JMU being favored by a touch. If I said to you 10 years ago that 10 years from now, JMU is going to go to Scott Stadium and be a seven point favor, you would have said I was nuts. 
I might still say you're nuts anyway, but not for that reason. So, look, I'll let the cat – well, let's do this. Let me let me uh, hit pause real quick here, and we'll pick up on this so we don't fall too far behind. I know you're in the studio, and AJ will start throwing things, and they might hit you. So let's stay on schedule, but this will allow us to pick up on this very conversation when we tell you what's coming up on this afternoon's Sports Huddle. Here's what's coming up on today's Sports Huddle. Just a huge fan of the sport. This is the River City Rundown. River City Rundown brought to you by the Richmond chapter of the American Red Cross. Your help is needed for the Red Cross to continue to be on call for all of the local and national emergencies. You know, the recent hurricanes, the flooding, the wildfires. To learn how you can volunteer or donate blood, visit Red Cross. So perfect timing, and uh, thanks in part to you, Matt. Coming up at 5.30, Jalen Walker from James Madison, the Verina product, uh, starting linebacker for the Dukes, is going to join us. And as you like to do, Matt, full disclosure, uh, he and I chatted earlier this afternoon because they will be on the practice field at 5.30 this afternoon. And Coach Signetti is not letting him out of practice, even if he has a signed note by AJ to do a radio interview. So we taped it a little bit earlier. But, Matt, one of the questions I asked him, was about being a favorite going into a game against Virginia at Scott Stadium. And trust me, they, they don't participate either, but they follow along as well. And and you'll hear it in another hour and 15 minutes. But he basically said it's a big deal for their program to be in that position, to be a favorite against the University of Virginia. Um, I mean, it's crazy. They're a second-year FBS team. I mean, if they were an FCS team, there's no way they'd be a seven-point favorite at Virginia. So let me ask you that. This does that say more about JMU's program or, unfortunately, the state of UVA's program right now? Well, it's ironic you said that because I just posted a poll at Mid Major Matt. We'll retweet it over to ESPN Richmond. And which team does it say more about that James oh. Madison's a seven-point favorite at UVA on Saturday? So I uh, just posted it. I swear I didn't see it. So uh, you and I, are, you and I are on the same page, which is a. a a little bit scary. There was some big topic from last week. Oh, it must have been the, the ACC realign. We're not getting into that. This is too much fun to be talking gays. We'll come back to that another time. But I'll tell you what. So we don't have a guest in the 4 o'clock hour. Matt and I are going to continue like the Tuesday edition of Mashup Monday because we weren't on yesterday for a little bit while longer. Um, Jalen Walker, you'll hear that interview coming up at 5.30 this afternoon. And your opinions are most welcome at this point. 804-327-0888. But when we come back on the other side, I did hear the portion of your program this afternoon in which you played the Russ Huseman comment from the postgame show and had your comments there and would love to get into that discussion with you a little bit more because I have not brought Richmond up purposely Uh in the first 15 minutes but I will in the next 15 minutes or so of this program no no it's not going to be it's not going to be all that bad and I certainly get where Matt is coming from and he's heard a lot of Russ Huseman over the past seven years being a part of our broadcasts and coaches shows and all the other stuff with the spiders here on 1061 espn so we'll talk about that uh definitely want to shout out vmi for their win over davidson to start the danny rocco era and much more coming up as well uh let's take a timeout 416 sports huddle 1061 espn as the Braves roll toward the 2023 postseason, there is one goal in mind, a World Series title. They still have plenty of obstacles to clear before that, and you can hear all the action here on your exclusive home for the Atlanta Braves in the capital city. 106.1 ESPN, Richmond. All right, welcome. 
Welcome back. Uh, Bob Black here. Matt Joseph's there in our ESPN Richmond studio. I am uh, hosting remotely today. AJ in the producer's booth on the other side of the glass over there. Matt's going to stick around for a little while longer. We kind of give you a mini version of our mashup Monday since we didn't have a show yesterday. And we are back today. All right. So the one team we really didn't get to in that opening segment was Richmond. And truly one of the more disappointing losses in quite some time, I can I can think of a handful of others. In fact, Chris Anderson and I went back and forth via text this weekend about some of the other disappointing losses. To this extent, this might be the worst of them. I, I don't know. I haven't really figured that out yet, but I can tell you this was a shell shocked and stunned Richmond team for 24 hours, and now they're they're back at it, which is what college football coaches and college football players do. I was at practice today, and it it looked like a good Tuesday practice for the. Richmond Spiders, and obviously they can get excited again because they get an opportunity to play their FBS game this week and an un- a unique one for Richmond at Michigan State. All right, more on that coming up. But in the immediate aftermath of the loss Saturday, Coach Usman appeared on our post-game radio, as he does each and every week, win or lose, post-game press conference, and then did the CAA uh, teleconference uh, yesterday morning as well. But it was the comment that he made, Matt, for folks who didn't hear your show from 3 to 4 on our post-game show on Saturday that you took a little bit of exception with. Not not a ton, but a little bit of exception with, correct? Yeah, it it just sounded like, I mean, I don't, I don't understand how you could not be prepared for a game you've known about for months. And, and I mean, you could be, I feel like you should be over-prepared for the very first game of the season. Yeah, and I don't know what the general result of that was. Here's what I would I would think happened is that they prepared, and I get where you're coming from, and they should have been more prepared, and I'll make one other comment here in a moment. But I would say their preparation for Morgan State was the same one week as if they had played them in the middle of the year. Now, I think there are some opponents maybe that you command more time in the preseason to, like if you're opening with the FBS opponent, you get a little bit more time there, or if you're opening with a conference opponent, you might spend a little bit more time in preseason camp, but I think in this case with it being a non-conference game, and quite frankly, uh, a game in which Richmond should have won is that they put the appropriate amount of time into Morgan State, which means a week. And it didn't work, obviously, as opposed to saying, all right, we're going to start working on Morgan State on August 15th instead of, you know, August 27th or whatever it would have been that they started. Here's the other thing I'll I'll say, Matt, to to, uh, Robert and Matt, you heard what he said where he took the blame and the coaches are going to, you know, work 25 hours a day and not see their family. So that's him wearing his emotion on his sleeve. That's in the immediate aftermath of the game. after he finished with us, he went and did his post-game presser, and he basically said the same things, except he added the players in there. He said they have to take some accountability for this as well. As the head coach, I'll take the most. Uh, the assistant coaches, we've got to do a better job of preparing them with what we do well, and then the players need to take some accountability as well. And by Monday on the CAA teleconference, uh, he had very much calmed down and was much more schematic and, I don't want to say matter-of-fact, because you know this is still biting at them, um, but certainly much more under control. Look, Matt, he's, he's an old-school coach, right? He's been doing this for over 40 years, and that's kind of the way he knows to handle it. Some of that is venting. Some of that was protecting his players, but in the same breath, he also threw the accountability on all three factions, him as the head coach, the assistants, and the players. 
and, and I get that. And I get that. It's just, it, it, it kind of, it feels like a high school type of thing to be like, well, we're never going to see our families. And yes, that's, that's an emotional thing that you would say. It just, at the time, and it was, you know, frustrating to listen to the game because, you know, Kyle Wickersham ran the ball too much. I mean, I, I didn't love what the offense was doing. And now I'm just reading the headline that Morgan State won their first opener in 11 years. And it's just like, we, we had such high expectations for Richmond this year. And there's, and for the most part, they're all still there, but it's just, I don't know. After a game like that, that was very disappointing. It was. No doubt about it. It was very disappointing. I'll tell you the one the one line that Russ used that I don't like really when any coach or player uses it, and I get it, and that is it was an embarrassment. I hate that word when it comes to sports. Um, you know, the other team practices too. The other team has scholarship athletes. The other team game plans. Uh, that word just bugs me a little bit. Uh, and I know you have some that are probably pet peeves of yours as well. That's one. And he he was quick to point out, you know, credit to Morgan State, all of that stuff. That's the one that, that just kind of, ah, I wish you wouldn't. Don't say that because that's going to wind up in a headline. And sure enough, it did wind up in a headline. And, and I understand, like, you know, first game of the year, you don't have a lot of film. But, like, that's the case for like 79 other games, obviously, mm-hmm. across college football, FBS and FCS. You know, occasionally, and I'm not just picking on Richmond here, but like occasionally I've heard Chris Mooney say that, where they're like, well, we don't have a lot of film. We don't know a lot about their players. Like, you know, at times we were flying into this blind. And, I, and you know, it's like, well, everybody in college basketball, those first couple games are flying blind because you don't have film. So it's just, it's frustrating because you as a coach should be able to do as much as you can, especially for the first game of the year. Mm-hmm. You should know more about Morgan State than almost anybody you play because, in theory, you should be doing a lot of work on them. And that just didn't seem that way. Yeah, no, I just think, um, you know, and and by the way, I wasn't there Sunday, but Sunday is traditionally the long day, right, where coaches are in the office, you know, literally from sun up to sundown. That That's no different than if Russ Usman had made or not made that 25-hour statement. But at the end of Sunday or late in Sunday, the families all come in. They bring pizza. They bring dinner. The kids come in as well. I was not there this Sunday, but I know they do that, and I can almost guarantee you that they did it this Sunday. Like the sun came up and they went through their Sunday routine and I just think it was a lot of Russ uh, frustrated and you know a little bit shell-shocked because I don't think any of us saw this one coming let's be honest and particularly where I think this team lost that game and that was the offensive line and I think you know they they rightfully so bragged on that offensive line from the first day of camp because it was talented it was deep it was experienced and for whatever reason, it didn't mesh together on Saturday. And then to your point, they wound up having to run Kyle Wickersham way more than they wanted to, or he had to run way more than he wanted to because of the breakdown on the offensive line. He can't run the ball 21 times a game, particularly this week. He can't run the ball 21 times against Michigan State. So that, to me, uh, getting to the X's and O's map, that was the biggest disappointment was the offensive line. And this is going to sound like an excuse, so I, I – kind of hesitate in using it but they lost one starting offensive lineman on friday morning to a foot injury in practice they uh, have another one who's playing with a broken uh, wrist that he suffered about a week or 10 days ago in practice they've got another that came back after missing all of last year so that i'm not using that as an excuse but maybe it just wasn't quite as deep talented as experienced 
as it looked on paper. That's all I'm saying. Well, and you can't throw for 5.6 yards per catch. Like, that's just, you got to, I mean, you know, obviously Kyle didn't have as much time as he wanted, but, I mean, you got to have a little bit more downfield. And, of course, they did have some uh, catches that were of the longer variety, but it's just, and I understand there's a lot of new pieces, and so things may not be, like, look, we could look back at this, Bob, in, in November and be like, aha, that was pretty funny that they lost that as they demolish everybody, but... In the moment, right now, it, it's not a great look offensively. No doubt. I don't think anybody would disagree with that. And there was an, another disappointment with some of this, again, goes back to the offensive line and not giving him the time. But he threw an interception on a deep ball in the first quarter, and then they never really went back to it again. And, I mean, every quarterback's going to throw an interception like that at some point, particularly a young one making his first start. And I really wish they would have gone back to a long ball or two and maybe it was called, and he couldn't throw him because he didn't have time. The very last play of the game, when, of course, they were in a prevent defense 80 yards down the field, he completed right on the hands for 30-whatever yards it was. So I, I would have liked to have seen a couple more over-the-top opportunities. I think Richmond has some speed guys amongst its wide receivers, but they either never went back to it schematically or they didn't go back to it because Kyle just didn't have the time to get those receivers downfield. I think the one thing it also does is unless Morgan State turns into a really good team, which who knows, obviously they could, uh, it narrows the margin just a little oh, yeah. bit on the playoffs because you can't afford to now lose to Michigan State, which I know they don't count as much. And then if you lose to William and Mary and Rhode Island could be a tough game and Elon could be a tough game. So like you've narrowed your margin now with regards to the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, you don't necessarily want to talk this big picture, but on a talk show we can. That, probably not on Thursday's talk show I couldn't with Coach Usman, but with you I certainly can't. Let, let's be honest, three is going to be the maximum losses. And I say maximum in this case because you've talked about it, I've talked about it, we've all talked about it. This is not a strong schedule. I mean, their strength of schedule, and not by their fault necessarily, is not going to be great. Obviously, they, Richmond scheduled the first three games, Morgan State, Delaware State, Michigan State. But after that, it's conference scheduling and it's not very good. It's the bottom teams, you know, in the preseason polls and all of that. So they, to your point, they need to dominate some people and the margin of error, I, I agree with you, Matt, has has totally changed for Richmond off of that game. That said, it's all there in front of them. I mean, you play every game and you win every game moving forward, you're, you're fine. But I do agree with you, the margin of error got smaller after Saturday. And this goes to the byproduct of too many teams, I think, in the CAA or the overexpansion. And we're, we're going to add another one next year. Um and obviously, you can you can tinker with the schedule a little bit, Bob. That's why I've always said that Bernadette needs to do when it comes to playing the home and homes in the conference. Like, figure out who the best teams are and have them play home and home. The CAA should have known that, that Richmond was going to be a playoff team or a fringe playoff team. Help them out a little and give them a schedule that's at least going to help them in this situation. And instead, they literally gave Richmond all the bottom teams, Rhode Island and William & Mary, on the road. So, I I don't know. Well, I think you've just stumbled onto a great point because when Richmond scheduled Morgan State and Delaware State, this conference didn't look anything like what it looks like now. I can tell you that. Those games were on the schedule for two, three years already, and this conference changed its landscape considerably between now and then. And and I think you're absolutely right, and I'm glad you're saying it because coming from me, it'll sound like sour grapes, although I I said it in August before this game, but losing the first game maybe – pronounces it a little bit more but there's 
there's no Delaware, there's no Villanova, there's no New Hampshire on either Richmond's or William & Mary's schedule this year. And to me, that that needs to be tweaked somehow, some way. No matter how good or bad they are, but traditionally, those teams are almost always very good. New Hampshire had that ridiculous streak, right, when they were in the playoffs, like 15 straight years, something like that. And you just can't keep – yeah, I'm with you. You can hear the frustration in my voice there a little bit that, that – the scheduling needs to be tweaked somewhat similar to what the ACC was going to do before it, it expanded to the degree that it did with that, what was it, 3-3-5, three, three and five, whatever that the, whatever those numbers were, Matt? Yeah, and it's it's kind of like what I said, you know, for VCU's non-conference basketball schedule, Bob, you, they left it in the hands of the A-10 to schedule properly and have the A-10 perform well. Look, we know, at least we, I think we know, Bob, Villanova's going to be good this year. Delaware's going to probably be up there. Mm-hmm. Um, New Hampshire's usually mm-hmm. up there. Rhode yeah. Island with the, the, the Kasim Hill kid back for his 15th year they're probably going to be pretty good um you know you know who's kind of going to be good that's your point as the commissioner and the people in in that office need to know that so now you've got to figure out okay well the mvfc is going to put in what four or five teams probably and this conference is going to put two in we want to put four in how can we maximize our opportunity to do so yeah, uh, I'm with you. I mean, it all changed when the size of this conference changed to whatever, what is it, 15 now, 15 or 16, I guess now. And, and you know, you lose out on a lot of opponents. And so I, I think, it, you know, it's there. It, you know, obviously, Richmond hasn't lost a conference game yet, hasn't played a conference game yet. It's all right there in front of them. But obviously, what happened Saturday, we certainly didn't see that coming for sure. All right. Uh, you done for the day, Matt? You said enough already or what? I can give you one more segment if you want. <laughs> yeah, come on. You're in a good mood. It's college football season. The NFL's getting ready to start. Let's do one more uh, on the other side of the break. And, again, no guests in the 4 o'clock hour, so this is perfect for us to do that. A uh, little mini uh, edition of Mashup Monday on a Tuesday. Uh, Bob and Matt with you back after the break, 1061 ESPN. He delivers his own take on sports. And maybe if you're lucky, a pepperoni pizza and garlic sticks. But I wouldn't count on it. He's cheap. Matt Josephs is live. Weekday afternoons beginning at 3 on 1061 ESPN Richmond. Call Herman. All right, already about 25 of 5. Matt Joseph sticking around a little bit longer. Happy to take a phone call with me as well. 804-327-0888. Let's get the week started, Reggie. Hope you had a good Labor Day weekend. Yeah, it was good, gentlemen. Always a pleasure to speak to you. Uh, my man, Matt, great job as always. Bob, you and I talked about Coach Wilson losing his father the week before the game. And um, I want to say you did a great job on TV. I listened to you on TV. And, yeah, the pinch hit him because I think the regular reporter well, was sick or something. That is correct. Yes, and I thought yeah, Lane so. did a great job. He literally had about 24 hours' notice to prep and get ready <laughs> to do that. And he's a veteran TV guy, so he handled it extremely well. And hopefully Chris Anderson, who will not be with me on the road this week, that was already predetermined. Hopefully he's back next Saturday when the Spiders are home. Yeah, that was a great job. And like I said, Coach Williams had his players motivated. And I'm not going to lie, I was shocked. But um, I'm pleasant. You know, Bob, I love you and I love Richmond, but I got to go with the brother on this one. You know? <laughs> well, I'm a little you hurt know, by I'm, that, Reggie. Come on now. Well, We're so tight. Never, Williams, I get it. I'm kidding. Hey, I'm hey, kidding. And I, I, look, look nobody's, <laughs> nobody's more of a Morgan State fan for the next 10 weeks than I am. I can tell you that. <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, like I said, he's a personal friend of mine from the days of CIAA and Bowie. So, hey, I was very happy for him. 
But as far as the comment about Deion Sanders, when um, Luke Williams from HBCU.com and Autodon.com interviewed Deion both times when he lost the Celebration Bowl back-to-back. The first year, South Carolina State beat him with Coach Buddy Pugh, who's retiring, the dean of HBCU football coach, and also um, North Carolina Central when they beat him last, last year. So he didn't duck any questions. And we know Abe Waters was a reporter from the Dallas Cowboys that he and Dion went back and forth with. And Ed Waters was the one that had a problem with Terrell Owens and some of the players on the Dallas Cowboys. Matter of fact, he talked about he wouldn't purchase a gun because he feared for his life. And that was during the time when Terrell Owens and those guys were playing. So I think Dion back in the day had a little issue with him. So, But Dion doesn't duck any questions. If he loses, he's mad enough to say, hey, we lost, and give me the questions. He doesn't duck any questions. Well, we'll look and listen for that, Reggie, when he does lose a game because I, I'm, I'm buying in on Dion in prime time and always have, but I don't think he's going unbeaten. So he's going to have opportunities oh, we know that. to talk Come after on, we know that. But, but, <laughs> yeah, but Lee Corso, I, I don't know what Lee Corso problem was. I mean, he had a lot of venom with him. And this is just the way it is. I mean, look at um, USC. When USC, um, the coach from Oklahoma went to USC, he said, boys, we're open for business. We're going to keep our in-talent of uh, California players in place. We'll do anything and everything we can to keep them in place. Money's no option. And we saw how USC rocking so quickly and turned that program around. So I'm just wondering why Lee Costa had a serious issue with Dion, but didn't have an issue with any other players doing it. I missed that. I, I, I didn't see it. I watched some of game day, but I didn't watch that part of game day. I think you either love him or you don't in, in Dion's case, and that's the way he was as a player as well. So we'll, we'll yeah. you know, we'll keep following. Yeah. All right, Reg. Thanks. Okay, appreciate Jimmy, it. Great job. Catch up later. Thank you. Great call. Um, hey, Matt. So we mentioned earlier, uh, JMU is listed as a seven-point favorite against Virginia. Are you buying in to that? Um, so obviously, Tony Musket's status is part of it. Because it's not like, you know, Tony Musket is a certain level quarterback. It's not like they have someone better sitting behind him. It's not like, uh, you know, Cade Klubnick is sitting behind him or or like this hot shot freshman or whatever. So that certainly makes... And I wonder, look, it's the first home game of the year, Bob, so I feel like UVA fans will show up. If this was in, like, November, I would feel like it would feel like a JMU home game. Hmm. Um, JMU didn't look good at the start of the game, but then they made the quarterback change and things went fine. So... It's tough because obviously, I, I mean, do we know what Chico Bennett's going to do? He's a large part of UVA's defense. Like, if they have Tony Musk and Chico Bennett, I'm almost apt to say, Bob, I would take UVA plus seven. Uh, but I feel like once they announce a status for those two guys, the, the line will move one way or another. Um, it's tough. As you could tell, I'm talking my way through it. To I don't know. What about you? Well, I wonder how far emotion is going to carry UVA to start with. And I'm usually a believer in emotion can only take you but so far. Maybe a little further than the opening kickoff, but I don't think it can take you all 60 minutes. I don't know in this case. We've never been through something as tragic and horrible as this one. But obviously, this is not only their first home game of the season. It's their first home game since the, since the tragedy when we lost Lavelle Davis Jr., Devin Chandler, and, and Deshaun Perry. There's a, going to be an emotional ceremony a half hour before. For the game so I do think that factors into it for a while but after that I think it becomes 
a football game. And I think your other point will be fascinating to watch. I hope the uh, Goodyear blimp that was flying over Wallace Wade Stadium last night is making its way to Charlottesville because I would love to see the contrast of orange-clad Virginia fans compared to the purple-clad JMU fans because they're going to show up in numbers, I'm pretty sure, Matt, on Saturday. Yeah, um, and I I almost wonder, Bob, if all that emotion works against UVA yeah. at some point. I mean, obviously, you trying to, and this is what makes gambling on eighteen year old kids really difficult because we don't <laughs> yeah. know what's going on with any of right. these worlds. But like, I, I just I, who knows what they're gonna feel like. I mean, you know that they know the line, Bob. Like, let's be honest, they may not bet on the game, but like they know the line. That's why I feel like if Richmond was an FBS team and the line was out there more, they would know that what they did was. Because they were twenty-five and a half point favorites on Saturday in that game, yeah. yeah. Um, you, I think UVA will get more motivation from the being in the underdog than potentially um, the ceremony that they'll do beforehand. And like I said, trust me, they do know the line. Our conversation with Jalen Walker uh, coming up at five thirty that we did earlier today. I referenced it, and and he was very quick to answer the question about what that means to the program. So they're very much they're very much aware of it. He didn't have to think about that. They know what that line is. Um, and we'll see you know, how that plays for them. I am fascinated, and again, I didn't see their game, obviously, because I was involved with the Richmond game, but the whole coach uh, quarterback switch, Matt, at JMU, and they've actually made that switch, right, moving forward. That wasn't just for the rest of that game. They've made that call, huh? Uh, yeah. I think. I mean, I have not seen. I can look it up real quick to see because I'm am. not on the, the Sunbelt uh, teleconference. Oh, the, the depth chart is out. Jordan yeah. McLeod is number one. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, And he probably should have been. I mean, experience-wise, obviously, Barnett Barrett was in the offense a lot more, but McLeod is obviously way more experienced playing at a bunch of different schools. So he makes such a difference. The one thing is the Solomon Van Horse injury, which I feel so bad because he's already mm-hmm. dealt with some other injuries in his career. But that running back room, Bob, they've got like 19 running backs, it feels like. Yeah, well, they always do. They always, even when they were an FCS team and their rosters were more limited, uh, they always seem to have all sorts of running backs. Hey, can, let me bring up one more thing, and this is a broadcaster thing more than anything, and you reference it and so did I, and that's this depth chart thing. Matt, get ready for it. The depth chart is going the way of, um, I'm going to use baseball analogies, the pitcher hitting in the National League and lineup cards being exchanged officially at home plate, which doesn't happen anymore. It's ceremonial. They electronically submit their lineup cards. But I'm preparing for a game this week, Matt, in which the opposing team does not issue a depth chart. There is no too deep out there for Michigan State. Conversely, then, Richmond is not putting a depth chart out this week as well. So, Get ready for that nonsense. Um, but see, we've also learned, Bob, that like you know the NFL depth charts are done by like the PR guys. It's but that hadn't been the case in college for the most part. They were they were pretty accurate, at least at my level. They were pretty accurate, and I would venture to say in the ACC, they were probably pretty accurate. Were there a few tweaks here? Probably, and not everybody came out with the injury factor and why a guy necessarily wasn't playing, but at least there was a too deep to work off of. In this case, no too deep whatsoever. I've heard of other teams at the major college FBS level doing the same thing, and like I said, I just think we're all going to learn to deal with with no too deep. But as a play-by-play guy, it makes it much more difficult to prepare for the game. That's well, all I'm saying. and as a handicapper, I yes. would love an injury report, and I don't get that either. I mean, yep. that's just yeah. You would like that, and unfortunately, with gambling uh, more prevalent, you would like to see that happening. But that would take the NCAA recognizing gambling and having an injury report. I, I don't think like we're gonna. It's just never gonna happen. I don't think. 
I think, and I think, I think you're right. I, I think the injury report is probably even more important, at least, at least to you guys. I would still rather have, you know, the depth chart or at least the starters. Just give me, you know, no sport doesn't give you this. You know, you know, managers don't hide their batting lineup. They give you the batting lineup. In fact, they have to because I'm being a little bit silly, but I'm not because the other manager sometimes picks a right-hander or a left-handed pitcher depending on the lineup and vice versa. Just give me the starters. That's all. And you, I'm not holding you to it, but but don't make a mockery out of it either just at least give me the starters but in your case i get it and i think there are some conferences matt that that have put some guidelines in place to to issue some type of an injury report by whatever wednesday or thursday of the week i could be wrong about that but i i do think much like the nfl does that i do think there are some college conferences that are doing the same thing i mean i'm just glad we're over the covid stuff because trying to handicap games with COVID yeah. when all that stuff was happening was the very first game, Bob, I was, it was like two or three years ago. It was the FCS opener. I forget who it was. It was Austin P and somebody. And I really liked Austin P and they were an underdog. And then I put my bet in and then like an hour before kickoff, we found out that like their wide receiver, their whole defensive line, like three other guys all had COVID and were out. And it was just like trying to figure that stuff out was crazy. So thank God we're over that stuff. Uh, no doubt about it. Knock on would let's hope we stay over that because there are all sorts of reports out there that it's coming back and all that so all right matt you've put in more than a full day today uh we'll let you go as we head towards the top of the hour this is fun i'm glad you wanted to do that uh we'll be back to doing it again on monday uh next week and can both of us will continue to preview all the all the college games and of course the nfl and the commanders starting this weekend fun times yep and if the commanders lose i'm never talking about them again I'll go on board with you on that one also. <laughs> I just, I can't. I don't even want to think about it. Bob, you and I are not Commanders fans, but we cover the team and have to talk about it. I don't even want to think about them potentially losing to the Cardinals. Well, it'll create a whole new topic, obviously. Oh, nope, God. Nope, it's on oh, yes. record. The, the afternoon shows are going to boycott the Commanders <laughs> if they lose. We're holding strong on that. Well, we'll be talking about the next coach of the Commanders if that happens. I could, uh, There's no doubt. Of, not not immediately, but just, you know, how long will he dangle in the wind? Eric Bieniemy. Well, we'll see. Maybe yeah. for the rest maybe for the rest of the year, but after that I'm not convinced yet necessarily. Unless they uh, put in Jacoby Brissett, then we can talk yeah. about. It. I think if they if they decide to make a change at the end of the year, they're going to want a clean break and they're going to start from scratch. And I don't think it will be Eric Bieniemy at that point. So anyway, wow. all right. Thanks, Matt. Uh, well, that, that's for another day. Conversation for another day. Uh, quick break here, and we'll get you up to five o'clock. If you'd called in, Bruce, I know you had. Uh, you're a veteran of this. You know how it works. Best time right after five. We'll get to you. Eight zero four three two seven zero eight eight eight. Sports Auto one zero six one ESPN. The gift of sports. All you have to do is accept it. And perhaps send a thoughtful thank you card. Jamie King is live weekday mornings at 7 on 1061 ESPN Richmond. I guess this is a uh, classic case of too little, too late. But somebody needs to take a picture a screenshot, to use the uh, modern-day vernacular, of the Pac-12 standings right now. Uh, the conference that is going away, right? The conference that is down to two. The conference that couldn't get a TV media rights deal and everybody fled and other conferences poached their members. They are 13-0. and Yes, the Pac-12 is 13-0. and I know they've played a lot of cupcakes 
in there in many cases. Not all of them, obviously, see Colorado, but they are 13-0. and And you know what I didn't realize? The Pac-12 really is the Pac-12. There really are 12 teams right now in the Pac-12. I, there, I don't know that any other conference that has a number in it is that actual number. I can tell you for sure the Atlantic 10 is not 10 teams for sure. But take a look. Go to go to ESPN.com, pull up the standings, and look at the Pac-12, 13-0. USC's already played twice, so they're 2-0, and everybody else in the Pac-12 won their season opener. It won't stay that way, obviously, for long, and conference games will begin. Not only that, but they have six teams in the top 25. You know, this is a good news, bad news scenario. If you're the Pac-12, you're kind of, how did we not keep this together? Like, I know they've underachieved in recent years, and let's not go overboard over one weekend in the season. This is your classic, you know, overdoing it, embellishment, all of that. But it's a pretty nice screenshot, as I said, with USC at number six, Washington at number eight, Utah at 12, Oregon at 13, Oregon State at 16, and Colorado at 22. It's a pretty clean-looking slate right now, and everybody has a zero in the loss column. And then the conference will just have zero teams at the end of the year because they're all basically going their separate way. But how bitterly ironic is that? After everything that happened in the Pac-12, they start out the college football season, their last as a conference, with 13 straight wins. Good for them, I say. Good for the Pac-12. All right, good hour. Thanks to Matt Joseph sticking around. To start the Sports Huddle on a Tuesday afternoon, we'll step aside. ESPN Sports Center update at 5. If you were calling in, Bruce and others, please do right at 5 o'clock. We'll get right to you. Uh, 5.30, we'll have our JMU conversation with Jalen Walker, the former Verina standout ahead of the Dukes game against UVA this Saturday. All right, break time for us. Top of the hour, back on the other side as the sports huddle rolls along on a Tuesday afternoon on 1061 ESPN. Cooler fall temperatures are coming.